in a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts. You have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. Each and every week, we drop a podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever good podcast services are found. We talk about films, believe it or not, films we love, films we don't love, but more importantly, all that sweet fandom in between. And joining me on the pod is my main man. It is the man who not only did I once meet when I was six years old and ran away from him, but more importantly, he is the best music man in the business John Descamento how you doing pal I am good you're teasing the origin story which is destined to be a Oscar winning moving emotional thriller about <laughs> two young boys who grow up to do a podcast together once they settle their differences of course um, I'm very good thank you very much yeah I'm just uh, you know quarantine myself not out of any uh, <laughs> you know not out of any personal tragedy or anything just because i i like being on my own in my house just so. any opportunity to be As locked away do. for two weeks has there ever been a better time <laughs> has there ever been a better time for self-isolation for well me? maybe that sweet self-isolation some time for self-reflection as well what have you been watching recently uh what have i been watching oh, i finished this is us with the wife the emotional roller coaster which was a bit much for me but very good um, after nice. three series, they've started flash forwards now. So you know it spans three generations, and now they're going in future. So it's, I'm intrigued to see where it can go, but I'm I'm worried it's peaked. But very yeah, good. What I about see, you? I see. So we started watching Better Call Saul. A new season of that started last week. It's very good. Old Jimmy's good to have him oh, back on TV. Yeah. Uh, also, even though right. We, all, we do this to ourselves. We've got this internal list of shit we want to watch, right? Because you'll hear people talking about it in the office or maybe you listen to a podcast and someone tells you something you've got to go see. And you've got this long, long list. And you sit there and go, right, do I sit there and watch Altered Carbon Season 2 because I've got to do a review for that? Or should I watch some of these other things that I probably should watch? Nah, fuck it. I'm going to watch Mad Men again. So I just started binge-watching Mad Men again. It's such a good show, though. <laughs> It's amazing. I, do you know what? I'm. I want to do that. Actually, me and the wife did start Breaking Bad because uh, I've been meaning to re-binge that. Uh, I, you know, sometimes you run out of good new shows to watch. Mm. You just got to go back to the trusted, the good stuff. And after five years, I think that's when it resets and you can properly enjoy it again. You know. Yeah, that's true. And also, it's quite interesting, especially Mad Men. Like watching that through like the prism of now compared to when you watched it maybe six or seven years ago like it's it's just batshit crazy i completely forgot there was an episode with do you remember when um roger got remarried in like season two or three i think it is and he literally mm-hmm. performs with blackface on stage and I completely forgot that scene even happened. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, surely, like, John Slavery, who plays uh, Roger Sterling, must have been sitting there going, okay, this is what I'm doing today. This is my job now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of the genius of the show is just the intrigue into what was normal oh, back insane. then. Um, it is a, one of the things that really stuck with me is when they were having a picnic in the park, lovely middle-class picnic probably upper class really and they just throw all the rubbish and just leave it there and go and it's just so 
illuminating you're like oh wow that's absolutely like that's yeah. just no wonder no wonder now. the world is literally burning from the inside out and we're all deep rooted with institutional racism because that's what the fucking world was like not too long ago uh anyway before it becomes uh, a bit too deep on this podcast let's you know what it's been a fucking long week a lot of people have been getting a little bit anxious and nervous about the old uh, flus and horrible things that are out there in the world let's put all that to one side gather around friends we're going to talk film me and fuck the rest of it so let's crack on some news news so coronavirus news <laughs> is that um, the coronavirus has actually started to delay film productions uh, mission impossible 7 is currently being filmed in italy uh, a massive set piece that's supposed to be filmed in rome and venice has been delayed unfortunately that's a bit of a shame isn't it it is a bit of a shame it's not surprising that it's starting to affect things like this um but you know the streaming services are the only players that are going to do well out of this, right? Because <laughs> once you start at self-isolating people, they're going to need... Yeah, right now, support. Netflix is just pushing through as much stuff as they can, which is quite funny. But uh, actually, speaking the other day, um, Kevin Smith is rebooting... Well, not rebooting. He's doing an animated version of... Or a continuation of the animated version of He-Man for Netflix. And they announced the voice cast, which is absolute fucking voice, car, uh, voice cast royalty. And... Mark Hamill and people are out in it. Anyway, sorry, I just uh, I know it's not in the news, but I just saw that the other day. I thought that's amazing. Speaking of what is in the news, uh, the Uncharted movie. We've talked about this a little bit over the last couple of years. It's a film that's actually been in production for the best part of fifteen years. We've had so many different directors and stars come and go. Mark Wahlberg at one point was was tapped to play Nathan Drake, and it's had a whole host of directors. Its current director is still in the job at the moment. Anyway, so let's see how long he lasts. But um, anyway, it's uh, Stephen Knight. I think. Is the is currently the latest guy to be directing that, and um, Antonio Banderas has joined the cast. And Tom Holland at the moment is still going to play Nathan Drake. So I, I think Antonio Banderas he's going through his little renaissance as well. He had a, a good run last year and he got an Oscar nomination. So looks like it's continuing. It's still going on. We've been talking about it for a while, Flinty, which is mm. always a bad sign. Um, when <laughs> flipping around directors and stuff maybe it's like one good one bad kind of thing it's like oh we're we're changing directors again but uh we've got antonio banderas sorry actually since we've uh you're completely right it's it's even had more directors stephen knight was the last one it's actually now um oh god i can't pronounce the guy's name the guy who directed venom and that's always a bad sign isn't it Uh, and also directed zombieland he is currently the director tapped up to (laughs) do you think they're just gonna start firing directors left right and center but um antonio banderas man i i love that man like there's something so charming about and happy with the world whatever he's on screen isn't it yeah, he's one of them. He's a force mm. of nature. I absolutely love... So, like, my favourite Banderas movie, probably Desperado. Like, have you ever seen that Robert Rodriguez movie? Yes. Great movie. Really, really. I, my, the child in me just loves Mask of Zorro and Banderas is the best. And no one else could be Zorro. It's like the him. only place in... It's the only sort of film that could pull off Anthony Hopkins being the Zorro before, trying to be an, a native Mexican man who was the original Zorro. Can you imagine an Anthony Hopkins actually... Put it on paper. 
Anthony fucking Hopkins being a young quote unquote Zorro in that intro scene of well I'm I'm Zorro I tell you and uh, <laughs> it's just it's just but, but it works yeah it's pretty bunkers it did work it it worked it, it was works. very good no I didn't ever question that until you just mentioned it and there you go uh, such are the times we're living in sorry well anyway the it's back to the uncharted stuff so this film has been in production hell for a little bit uh, even Chris Pratt at one point in 2014 was very close to landing the lead even Zeph Rogan was given the opportunity to write the script for this but he turned it down saying you know what this is basically just an Indiana Jones movie and I don't want to write an Indiana Jones movie but I'll tell you who is writing an Indiana Jones movie at the moment Steven Spielberg uh, he is going to be getting back in the world of indie originally was going to be directing the fifth Indiana Jones movie but he's decided to step back from directing and focus on being a producer and you think oh that's cool Steven Spielberg is one of the most amazing directors ever. He has produced some pieces of shit, though, people. Let's just remember this. I'm never going to let you forget those Transformers movies. And he produced Men in Black 2, which was terrible. Anyway, that aside, he is a damn good director, and I'm sure this is going to be done in good faith. John, are we at the, are, you, are you happy to see Indy back? Do you want to see him back, or is it too much? No, and I think Spielberg's probably calculated, you know, the amount of movies he's he's got left in his career and thought... I'm not putting... (laughs) Does he need to do that? No, I reckon. Do something else. Yeah. Steven. Ready Player One. Now, that was brilliant. So, I say go original. We don't need a fifth Indiana Jones movie in my No, but the fourth one was really bad. And it'll be nice for him to go out on a high. Maybe that's it. Flogging a dead horse, though. Springs yeah, mind. very well, very true. In fact, I mean, yeah, he ain't no spring chicken. Let's face it. I mean, to be fair, Harrison Ford looks far better than any of us will ever look at his age. But I don't know what his age actually is. Let me check. One second. Very unprofessional, but let's just see what the man's I'm age. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess 69. We actually. He is 77 years of age. So it's going into production oh in God. spring. <laughs> And it's going to take about two years to make. So he's going to be 79 when this film comes out. Indiana Jones. He should be running for Well, the why not? Um, and although I can't vote for him, he's got my vote. But um, who is being eyed up to sit in that director's chair? I hear you ask, John. Who's being eyed up to <laughs> be the director? So they're looking around James Mangold at the moment. He is meeting with Paramount right now to, to try and iron out a deal. I think it's Paramount or it might be uh, Lucasfilm. But anyway, he's, he's being eyed up and... James Mangold, I don't want to say he's one of the most underrated directors going because he's not. He does get a lot of recognition. He got an Oscar nomination uh, for Ford and Ferrari. But he really is the definition of a director who can change and adapt to different crafts. He has made some amazing films. The one that holds most in my heart is probably Logan. He did direct The Wolverine as well, but Logan, oh my God, like that, that took a classic character we all loved in the final stages of his life and gave us a story that basically was the the um, most uh, the most amazing conclusion to such an amazing journey. And if you take those sort of ingredients and put that in an Indiana Jones movie, you might have some dynamite here. But then again, you know, we did have Crystal Skull, so Sake's supposed to to be wary of. And uh, yeah, so it sounds like you're not too hyped for it. I am a little bit. I I really hope we do get a really good Harrison Ford movie. But while we're still talking about Steven Spielberg things that have gone off to the ether that have been directed by someone else, Jurassic World 3 uh, started filming recently. There was a tweet put out by Colin Trevorrow uh, who directed uh, The Lost World, 
it's not the Lost World, sorry, Jurassic World. Uh, he stepped away from Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom, because he was on those Star Wars projects, but he did produce, so this is basically his trilogy. And uh, there was a subtle little thing he put in the tweet when he tweeted the first day of filming. It was the title of the film, which is going to be called Jurassic World Dominion. John, are you? Are you is the music swelling? Are you feeling the, the Jurassicness, or are you done with this as well? No, I'm, I love a dinosaur movie, Flinty, and Jurassic, the, I think the two of them, so far, they've not been bad iterations. Uh, could be a lot worse. What? How, how are you? So feeling? I was not as up as most people was on Fallen Kingdom. Um, I, I thought it had a lot of problems. I thought that for all their faults, when they were like, right, when we got accused of just trying to pull on the member berries of Jurassic Park. So for the sequel, we're going to start with half the film on the island and then take some of the dinosaurs off the island in an enclosed space for a little bit and then try and cap, you know, try and save them a little bit. That's basically what happens in The Lost World to an extent. So there was a little bit of that. And uh, they've kind of gone a bit weird with this whole like genetic mutations of dinosaurs, but it looks like they're going to lean into it. Um, Colin Trevorrow is a great director. I really like his writing style. Obviously, the cast is dynamite. Um, if we get Sam Neill back... And and Ellie as well, Laura Dern. I've um, they've got my fucking money. Like I, I generally love these films. I was talking about this the other day, John. How many films out there? And this is off the cuff, so you know, don't don't worry. I think I know what some of your answers are going to be for this. But what's it act like? A, mm. Fuck what the scores say. Fuck what the critics say. For you, what's a what? Name me some perfect movies that you go. You know what? They're just perfect. Perfect. Uh. Shawshank Redemption springs to mind. That is a good film. That is quite good. I'll give you that. Uh, for me, Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park movie is perfect. The pacing, the soundtrack, the effects, everything yeah. in between, absolutely incredible. You're right. Yep, absolutely. Um, there's a lot, isn't there? And you know me, comedy, Dumb and Dumber is the perfect comedy. Nothing has ever surpassed it, in my opinion. What am I? What do I know? I'm just a idiot who likes idiot movies but um yeah uh what else what's the perfect war movie flinty you know i love a war movie you think about stuff like saving private ryan i suppose thin red line uh they just came out at the same time actually but obviously let's face it saving private ryan is superior um 1917 crosses my mind just because that's probably the most recent war movie i saw uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> I couldn't fault that one. We've been inundated. You know, this is a good time for me because I, I love my war movies. And we've had, in the last three years, I think we've had three of the best. I think we've had some absolute stuff. Oh, Dunk, yeah. Dunkirk, 1917, and Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, you. I just think all three of them, absolute five star You love that, don't you? So. You love that. Uh, another, uh, another film that I generally think is perfect is probably Back to the Future 2. And we were talking about it last week where um, there was a deep fake around of someone that took Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland and superimposed their faces over it with deep fake technology. And it looks incredible. And I even said on the podcast, like, I'd be interested to see that movie. So I got a bit of fucking hoof for that. But uh, that's that's what, um, yeah, that was my opinion. But uh, Tom Holland even came out recently in an interview and said, you know, I'm not going to lie. There has been a conversation. But don't worry. We think that is a perfect movie. We're not going to bother. We're not going there. We ain't touching it. Don't worry. So that allayed a lot of fears across the internet. Um, if you want 80s reboots, Flintney, you should shrink the kids again, right? Let's get Rick Moran. Well, he's, he's coming back, right? If you're talking about... 
He's coming yeah, there yeah, doing he's... it. And this is perfect. Because no one's got that. It's not a film that people are going to cry if they get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. They're the sort of movies we need to bring back. Don't don't touch the gems. Yeah, why, don't, why remake the good ones? Why don't you remake the shit ones? Well, I'm not saying Hannah Trunk and Kiss was shit, but you get my point. You know, to your point of, why don't you just take something that no one cared about that much or like wouldn't cry if they just rebooted it completely? Or like, wonder, I'd love to know and maybe put it out as a question to the audience and, and you know, get it from that. But what 80s movies were terrible but had such a good premise that if they were remade now, they'd be fucking dynamite? I can't think off the top of my head because all I can think of is good 80s movies, but there's got to be some ones out <laughs> well, there. We only remember the good well, ones. Well, that is, that is oh, a very yeah. good point. Um, just to kind of finish off the news part is that Creed 3 is happening. It's got a new director. Uh, unfortunately, the previous director was moved on to other projects. But hey, you know what? Creed 2 and Creed, to be fair, both excellent movies. Uh, I generally love Creed 2. It's one of my favourite boxing movies of all time. And I'll go and record it toe-to-toe, just as good as any of the Rocky movies. Um, and this is really exciting. Uh, yeah. Have you seen? The, have you ever gone into the Creed movies? you ever seen them? I haven't. I think no, they're on Netflix at the moment. They are really do. good. So don't be put off by the fact oh, it's a good. boxing movie, because I know some people look at that and go, that's not my bag. But if you like the the feel of a Rocky movie, but you want something new, with a bit of a different flair, a different perspective of life on it, then the Creed movies are totally up your street. And speaking of kind of taking a genre and kind of putting a different perspective of the world in that, Jordan Peele's latest movie dropped a trailer the other day. Now, this is he's not directing, let's be clear, he's producing, but of course, when you've got the name Jordan Peele on it, that's the first name that appears everywhere. Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. That trailer dropped. <laughs> Do you remember that movie? Did you ever watch it growing up? I did. I watched it at the perfect time. This, this is like 1992. Yeah. I reckon I must have watched it as a teenager about, you know, maybe eight years after that, maybe around a millennium, and it shit me up. Uh, it obviously is the most ridiculous camp premise in the world, but it really stuck with me as a teenager. And Jordan Peele has just got his fingerprints all over this trailer. They've they really want you to know that it's a Jordan <laughs> Peele kind of associated movie, uh, but it does look good. I mean, it's so it's right, it's perfect fit for Jordan Peele because it's ridiculous. So it's kind of funny to start with. But at the same time, I mean, you can have a lot of fun. Yeah, with it's this, it's right? got all that right combination. Is, it gonna, is there going to be a message? For I, I don't know, but it does have that right combination for Jordan Peele of it's horror. Like you say, that little bit of element of comedy to it. But, you know, it's, yes, let's you know, be clear. It's first and foremost a horror. It also asks a question again a little bit about race. Uh, Candyman has always been been a person of colour so it's kind of bringing those questions back to the fold as well and one thing one thing that this man is a absolute genius for is taking a classic pop song and making it a fucking freaky horror song so do you remember like the cut that was done for I've Got Five on it they've managed to take Destiny's Child Mm -hmm. Say My Name and make that fucking scary so like he should just do he should just release an album of R&B songs made twisted for horror and I would buy that shit fucking 100% man yeah I'm looking forward to this one should be good and that's your news for this week I'm required to read a prepared statement Cecilia although our relationship was far from perfect I thought that you would talk to me rather than run away are you okay? what happened to him? he cut his wrist 
per his final wishes, you're getting five million dollars. Contingent, of course, on the fine print. It can't be ruled to be mentally incompetent. The Invisible Man is a property that has been used and abused to a certain extent across Hollywood for the best part of a hundred years, believe it or not. The first time this appeared in, I don't want to call it silver screens, I don't know what the screens were back then, but the first time it appeared in pop media culture was in 1933 and it has had different versions. Each generation has their own version of The Invisible Man. The most recent one, to recent mind anyway, you think of is Hollow Man, which has got Kevin Bacon in. He also done a brief appearance in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yes that one with Sean Connery in but this is the latest version back to his horror roots it is produced by Blumhouse Productions and distributed by Universal Pictures it's directed by Leah Wainall who also wrote this movie and it's got Elizabeth Moss starring in the lead so basically trapped in a violent and controlling relationship with her brilliant and wealthy scientist boyfriend i can't remember if they're married or just together they don't really i can't remember them talking about it too much but basically cecilia escapes in the dead of night and disappears into hiding she hangs out of her sister and her childhood friend as well as their teenage daughter and a bunch of other people as well but basically when cecilia's ex-husband commits suicide she then is left with a bunch of money and a vast fortune you get all that from the trailers uh, but then cecilia starts going a little bit crazy starts noticing some things are happening she starts thinking that maybe just maybe her old fella didn't top himself and is fucking with her using a weird suit yes this film is supposedly grounded in some form of reality i hate it when people say that because like during the whole press junkets and all this sort of shit they've been going oh yes we've grounded this in reality if these suits actually existed it would be fucking chaos so i don't think these suits actually exist but anyway that aside let's let's keep it keep it above board john what's your take on this film well i actually i i thought it was a really good reimagining of the movie and the premise because we have got technology that can essentially maybe uh, it uses cameras to kind of like appear invisible so this is kind of taking that to a ridiculous degree and create a suit that's covered in cameras and you know just flawlessly you're just walking around invisible um so i kind of think it was a cool reimagining and the fact that this dude is like this super rich genius kind of optics <laughs> it's kind of amazing oh yeah i managed to design this whole incredible suit all on my own and i did it for the purposes of just stalking my <laughs> ex who left me i mean it's mental it's batshit uh and elizabeth moffs is so good that for about an hour and a half or maybe an hour and a quarter you forget how batshit and stupid the premise is and then by the end i think you're like Oh yeah, this is this is stupid. But Elizabeth Moss, let's start with her. She is uh, incredible. She couldn't do. I mean, she's done these roles before, the kind of femme in distress, uh, but kind of ballsy as well, but very vulnerable. Uh, she does it in The Handmaid's Tale uh, and others. But she does such a good job in this. I think it's perfectly cast, um, and she's you know slowly she's going out of her mind. Um, as, supposedly and trying to convince people that she's not um and plays that sort of edge uh, really really well so yeah like i said two-thirds of this movie i think the first and second act absolutely brilliant i think the horror the pacing uh the scenes were kind of they were kind of cliche but enjoyable all the same 
Um, I think there is a couple of, you know, harkbacks to a couple of the other Invisible, Invisible Man movies. Uh, but there's some genuinely creepy, creepy-ass moments that really shit everyone in the uh, cinema up. Um, very enjoyable. My wife was absolutely shitting herself for about 45 minutes of this movie. Uh, how about you? As far as scary, were you scared for an EB on I wouldn't now? say I was scared, but I would say that it starts out really, like, triggering. Like, I'm, I've never been... Thankfully, touch wood, I've never been in an abusive relationship, but you could see the distress of people in the audience watching that, that there was something really raw about it. I don't I don't know if that's good or bad, but I was saying that obviously a lot of acting ability was on display. And Elizabeth Moss, like you say, I think she's at the peak of her powers. I think she's absolutely fucking incredible. And uh, she plays both the victim and the... her own hero so well in this movie like first and foremost let's get that on the table she is incredible Um, that being said the film I'm not as up on it as a lot of the internet is people like after the like we didn't go to the press screenings for this one but I know people who did and they are literally like oh my god this is amazing this is like Jordan Peele level fucking amazingness of how this is going to capture the public imagination kind of like Get Out did in terms of just gaining momentum i don't this is not that movie at all and i think the second the or the third act in this movie it kind of falls apart to an extent i mean it's it's perfectly enjoyable the first two thirds of this movie is brilliant and i do enjoy the fact that it is a a very different take on the character and it's called the invisible man but obviously the invisible man is not necessarily the the focal point of the movie in fact it's very much obviously it's cecilia who is the main focal point and her point of view of the world and it's very interesting the take they've done about uh essentially why are you being why are you being nasty to this guy like he he left you a fortune and and you should be grateful and she's like no like i don't want any of this i been through a really traumatic experience and why is no one listening to me so i thought it was just a fascinating take and it was done in a very Blumhouse way in terms of not necessarily needing big spectacle to make a spectacle which is kind of what you associate with Blumhouse productions yeah it was very subtle there was some incredible moments where the camera focused you assume you would presume the camera would follow the main character around the room and it stays in one place and you just notice one tiny little thing and you know it's called the invisible man for fuck's sake you know you're looking for something um and it's genius the way it sort of plays it reminds me of the old um the optics paranormal activity movies and that was old that was blumhouse that's kind of what really launched me into the stratosphere because those films only cost like a a couple of hundred thousand dollars to make and they'll go and make hundreds of millions and it was very much playing with that old school style of like you say just and it was it didn't have to be big it could be just something as subtle as a book opening in a way that wouldn't on its own naturally or a chair being slightly pivoted and things like that so it was very subtle at times and i think it that's when it was at its best when it's like slasher horror holding a knife up in the basement and and watching for the man creeping down the stairs that's it's just like we've seen that movie i don't want to see that movie more i want to see more of elizabeth moss going a bit more insane you know that's that's what i want to see more of yeah and the other problem with this movie, I think it, it was amazing when it was just Elizabeth Moss against this kind of mysterious, horrible ex. And then he kind of becomes part of the movie and you, you sort of, the mystique is gone. Uh, and 
I think it's it falls down a little bit there. His character doesn't quite make sense and is not very fleshed out. Um, and nor, you know, it's not about him uh, at all. It's about her and her experience and the sort, like you said, the domestic, domestic abuse subject of the movie. But it, it didn't quite, none of it really added up. It was, <laughs> but I will say it's trying to make a point at the end and it's trying to make you think trying to leave you a little bit uncomfortable like who do I believe oh you know and I think it asks it tries to ask a question but not very clearly enough i.e like a Jordan Peele movie might uh it wasn't totally you know it wasn't totally clear what the question it was trying to ask was um and it and I think it needed to be clearer with this subject matter for the movie what about you how do you feel by the end of it? I agree. So it's trying to ask questions. And sometimes I feel like, why does a horror movie have to ask questions about society sometimes? Like, can't it just be a slasher horror to an extent? Uh, but that being said, um, I thought, again, like that opening premise and then how it asks questions during that film, I thought was a masterstroke of how it was done. And, uh, yeah, you got to applaud that. But, again, like I say, I'm not... like I really did brush up against the, the third act of the movie. Um, it kind of almost become a different film to an extent. So uh, let's look at what the the internet is saying. Uh, the Tomato Meter has given it 91% and the audience score is 88. I'm definitely more with the audience, probably a little bit less on the audience front. Where are you? That surprises me. I really, I mean, it is, I think two-thirds of this movie, I was like, this is a four or five out of five. Um, and then by the end of it, I was... I think generous to give it a three. I'm sitting at a three. I, I do think the third act really let it down. But at the same time, in its defence, I was totally in it and two hours sort of flew by. I was definitely not, you know, thinking about leaving or anything. I think it was a really cool, even up to the very end, it sort of had me gripped. But it went from about a four to a three uh, with the last half yeah I'm definitely with you of that but let's let's hear what the critics have said so let's go with someone who was uh, who was rotten first so this is Sarah Ty Black at Globe and Mail who is a top critic and I quote while chock full of relatively good scares campy effects and an ending that will tickle a very specific demographic of 90s and 2000 thriller fans with glee the invisible man doesn't deliver much more than that Two out of five. Oh, that's a bit. That's a bit harsh. I'd be a little bit more than that. But let's go with someone who absolutely loved it. So let's go with. I'm gonna go with with Brian Veneer of the Daily Mail. Your paper's terrible, mate. But I'll go with you, Gavi, because you seem like a, a good critic nonetheless. Uh, when all keeps the audience guessing, and I confess, in my case, also literally jumping out of our seats. That's a very tabloid review. That's a. That's the very. That's like the one line for the poster, isn't it? <laughs> that's what he's trying to get. Yeah, that's that's poster. definitely a poster quote there. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm probably a little bit more towards the the you on this. I'm, I would say three out of five as well. Um, I definitely think I'm happy this film exists. I love Elizabeth Moss, and she's a Scientologist, and I don't like Scientologists, so she must be a really good fucking actor to uh, to keep keep the fans loving on that. Um, do you think this will spark more movies? I hope not. Um, I think it. I think it's going to do really well. It's already doing well, and I think it's mm. going to do really well for yeah. a horror. Um, but I can't see... 
I just I just don't think it's that good. <laughs> I think it's a good horror movie, and unfortunately, that's about it. But Elizabeth Moss, without her, this movie falls down big time, I think. So kudos to you, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, generally. I mean, we've got um, Elizabeth Banks. Maybe just finding anyone called Elizabeth to do invisible stuff. Um, she's going to be starring in an Invisible Woman movie. And I do not know if they're going to be linked or related or anything like that. Uh, I, I can't give any spoilers in the movie, but I don't think there was any breadcrumbs. Uh, but who knows? There might be. Uh, but anyway, I I agree with you. I think it's a perfectly perfectly fine movie perfectly reasonable self-contained thing uh, three out of five seems fair so there you have it three out of five the invisible man is listening where are you where are you show yourself come on do it there you are Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And more importantly, if you liked it, if you like the cut of our jip, then do us a favour, mate. Just click on that little subscribe button because that means you'll get more content from us. In fact, you'll be getting more content each and every week from us. But more importantly, I want to thank my boy, John Descamento, the best music man in the business. How can people find you? You can find me rambling on Twitter at Descamento. Fantastic. Okay, well, hang in there. Stay filmy till next time. Bye-bye.